The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live and happy uh, happy Valentine's Day. We're red and spangly for you today because we're feeling the love. I'm Shannon Penrod and you're watching Autism Live on the Autism Network. I'm thrilled and excited and proud to be here. We're already having technical interesting, I, I won't say issues, but interestingness this morning. So apologies uh, for, for what may or may not happen here in a few minutes. We're excited that today we've got a bunch of big announcements for you. And then we have a wonderful guest. Thomas Island is going to be joining us in just a little while. We're going to be talking about love and autism today because it's Valentine's Day and that love comes in many different uh modes and flavors and of course starting with self-love and happy birthday Arizona too Cindy K says I'm so thrilled to see that now Cindy has just written in and we love to get live comments I want to remind all of you that we are live right now on a variety of different sites including Good Morning Ka. Uh, we're live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other places. And our fabulous producer, Traven, is going to show you some of those in just a second. Uh, hi, I am one. Hi, uh, and happy Valentine's Day to you as well. We want to remind you that if you're on any of those big platforms, all you have to do is stay there and put your comment in, and we're able to get those in almost real time. So please feel free to do that. Now, if you're on one of the other sites that maybe doesn't have that feature, I want to remind you that you can write in to autism-live.com. If you go to the website, you can also get there from going to autismnetwork.com and then clicking on the Autism Live button. There is a chat button at the bottom. Now, I don't want you to be misled. It's not an interactive chat. You're going to type something in and that gets to me. I can't type something back to you, which is a ginormous bummer. And we'll, we'll work on that as soon as we take care of other issues. But, uh, you know, it's only been 11 years now, so we don't, we don't want to rush change. You know what I'm saying? Um, but in any case, you can write to us there. You can always also write to me directly. My email is shannon at autism-live.com. I always love to hear from you guys. And we take questions all the time. Uh, and for those of you who are watching in podcast, and most of you are, let's be honest, uh, the, our main viewership is in podcast. We want you to know that you can ask questions too in any of those formats or write directly to me, shannon at autism-live.com. <clears throat> excuse me, and I am thrilled to hear from you guys. So, and and also want to say that when you write to us, obviously when you're writing in on a platform, I can't adjust anything. I can't take your name out. I can't hide what you wrote. I can't do any of that. But if you write to me privately, we don't share your name or your information. We're all... Um, very private about that because that's important to me. I always like to remind you guys at the start of the show that we have lots of experts on the show. We're going to have a great one in just a few minutes, but uh, I am not one of them. I always like to be really upfront and bra brazenly honest with you that I am an expert in nothing, uh, but care deeply. And my experience, I, I, I want to be doubly clear that I myself do not identify as being an individual on the spectrum or being even neurodiverse. I identify as an ally. That is what my role in this community is because I'm a mom. And I, my son, my one and only child, was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. And I'm learning and growing still. He is 18 now and uh, off at college this morning. And all I want to be, when he was first diagnosed, all I wanted to know was how can I be the best parent for him and stick up for him and be an advocate for him and get him access to things, right? And then he got a little bit older and he gained skills and could speak for himself. And I had to learn how to take a back seat and how to let him advocate and be there for him in case he needed something else. And now that he's older, 
and more capable, I'm learning even more. It's a process. And I always like to say, you know, I, I, I'm a student at this table, and but I want to be the student sitting at the front in the front row. I, I want to learn like a lot of you. I want to learn uh, as much as I possibly can. But I want to be clear that this show is really for everyone. We, we always talk about the fact that our mission is to provide information and inspiration to that larger autism community that for me, and I think for you as well, if you're here, starts with individuals who are on the spectrum. Of course, they are the beating heart of our community. But we also include in that community everyone who loves them who wants all the things for them that we, we should want for them, the respect, the dignity, the opportunities, the employment, the right to love who they love, right? The right to be who they are. So if you love an individual on the spectrum and, and that's the mode that you're in, welcome home. We're all here together. Si se puede, right? We're going to hold hands. Um, that's what we're all here for. But we're learning and growing, right? I'm saying uh, uh, hello and happy. Uh, I, I, and of course, I speak this much Spanish, Alicia. Uh, feliz, feliz dia de amor y amistad. Okay. I, and like, I'm sorry for, for me butchering it. And Esoteric Gold, hello, we love your red hearts. Uh, all right, so that's how you write in and you can write in questions for our guests. You can ask questions of the other viewers. Every, everything and anything goes as long as we're kind to each other, right? That's really the only thing. I, I, I don't believe in the thing of saying that there that there's no stupid question. There's, if, if it's, a, it's a stupid question if it's meant to hurt. But if, if our hearts are in the right place, if our intentions are in the right place, then I don't think that there's anything that is inappropriate if our hearts are in the right place. And I think they are. So let's, uh, let's move on. At the beginning of the show on Monday, we always like to kick it off with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym, we try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are those experts talking about? Why do we need to learn these terms? I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I, I certainly used to find it terribly overwhelming. And you know what? The truth is sometimes people do. I recently was very overwhelmed by jargon and I was like, wow, this takes me back, right? So what we do here is first we give you a jargon term or an acronym. We go to alphabet land from time to time. First, we give you the actual definition, then where possible, I choose to make fun of those definitions because they need to be. Someone <laughs> needs to make fun of those because sometimes they just, they just rearrange the words in it and you go, thank you. Because if I knew what those words meant together backwards, I would know what they meant forward, right? But once we get over the happiness of making fun of them, and sometimes we can't make fun of them because there's nothing to be made fun of, right? Um, but the main thing that we want to do is get to the working definition, which is the beginning understanding for all of us of what are we actually talking about and how can it help us to be on that mission that we were talking about before of either helping ourselves or helping someone that we love, right? Why do we have to be speaking uh, jargon? Hello, Dark Angel. Thrilled that you're here with us this morning. So let's take a look. Even I don't know what the jargon of the day is today. I'm flying blind today. Oh, well, here we go. Stereotypical behaviors. Ooh, and we've never done this one before. So this is a little fascinating. Let's take a look at what our actual definition of stereotypical behaviors is. Stereotypical behaviors, a motivating operation that establishes increases the effectiveness. Uh, is this the right definition? I don't think this is the right definition, Traven. Uh, uh, something might, we've had so many technical problems this morning because this is the definition for um, uh, uh, operating um, MO, uh, motivational operation. Okay, so do we have the actual definition for stereotypical uh, behaviors or do we only have, because I can talk about it. When you're, when, when someone is diagnosed, here we go. Stereotypical behaviors, the uh, repetition of physical movements, sounds, words, or, or moving of objects. Whoops, we lost it, Traven. We're looking at your desktop. Of objects in repeated, sometimes rhythmic patterns. Let me say it again. So the actual definition for stereotypical behaviors is the repetition of physical movements, sounds, words, or moving of objects in repeated, sometimes rhythmic 
patterns. What? Um, it's a bit of a mouthful, but if you read it back again and again and again, you go, okay, I sort of start and you kind of squint. You go, wait a second. I think I see my kid in there somewhere, right? Or I see myself in there. Let's let's bring it down a little bit to a place where we can really start to get a handle on this. Let's look at what our working definition is. Have we got that one? Or is this what we have? Because here's the thing. When your child is diagnosed with autism, um, you know, it used to be that they were like, you had to have three things from column A and two things from column B, or you didn't get the autism diagnosis. Now it's basically four different criteria that it will, will say for us. And one of the things that is, that needs to be there is this stereotypical behavior. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear the word stereotypical. And I think that someone is putting things into categories that are not complimentary. Like if somebody, you know, th we start talking about racism or, you know, profiling a group of people based on, you know, something like saying that, I don't even want to say, cause they're all negative. Um, and that anytime we talk about a stereotype, we tend to think about something that's negative, right? Um, so I don't like my child be, being associated with a word that has a negative connotation, right? And then we talk about stereotypical behaviors, and I feel like, aren't we being inappropriate? Isn't that politically incorrect, right? Um, but that's connotation that we're bringing to it. So we really want to talk about when our kids are doing things like lining cars up or... Um, something that they do repetitively that um, this, you know, this comes under the category sometimes that you guys are calling it stimming, right? But it's a little bit broader than that. So it could be that you're rocking. That's a stereotypical behavior. It could be that you're hand flapping. It could be that you spin in circles. Um, it could be, you know, our kids who open and close doors over and over and over again. Let's, let's bring the definition up again, big again, Traven, so that now that we're thinking this way, the repetition of physical movements, right? So it could be something physical like rocking or hand flapping sounds. So our kids that make the same noises over and over and over again, we're saying words. Our kids who get stuck in echolalia, where we say that they say the same word from the same movie uh, over and over and over, or moving of objects that there are some kids that they they can't, like the door can't be closed or the door can't be open um, or the something that can't be something else. And that this is repeated. And sometimes there is a rhythm pattern to it, but sometimes there is not, right? So the, the lining up the cars would be the objects. So this is, these, this category, these stereotypical behaviors are a category that there must be some of this present in order to get an autism diagnosis. So great. All right. So it's a, a means to an end to diagnose, but I think it's important that we note that there is a whole other issue with stereotypical behavior. That is the feelings that when you, I can speak as a parent that when you see your child doing some of this stuff, you go, what is that? I don't know what that is. And they do it over and over and over again. And for many people, it causes anxiety because the thought is, what is that? I don't understand that. And I think until we can acknowledge that that is the core of the, the funny feeling, I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. And so that's what's making me nervous. I don't think we can really join them where they are until we just acknowledge that that's a thing. And once you have a child on the spectrum and you kind of get to the place where you recognize, okay, this is my child and I don't understand it, but it, it normalizes a little bit for you. Then it, then we get into the part where it's hurtful when other people look at it and go, what is that? I don't know what that is. And it's making me nervous. And, and I think until we can all accept that within us, um, that we always want to be able to understand everything um, and if we don't, we feel 
discombobulated, dysregulated, right? If we can accept that that is a thing that is in us, then we can stop labeling the person who's doing it. If we can get to a normalization of saying, I don't understand that and that's okay. Um, and that that doesn't mean that it's weird and we don't have to label it and put connotations on it and say that it's odd or that it's inappropriate or whatever. Then we can get down to a conversation where we can say, is that functional or is that something that's happening for another reason? So for instance, if somebody is doing something because they're nervous, think about what you do when you're nervous. How do you calm yourself when you are nervous? If you are feeling anxiety, what do you do? And is it functional? Does it help you to reduce that anxiety? Or is it just something that you're doing that's causing more problems, right? Because there are people who, I was just telling the story last night that my grand, my great grandmother who had three sons who were serving in World War II, you know, this is back in 1943, she went to the doctor and the doctor said, she said, I, I'm, you know, I'm just nervous all the time um, because I have three boys serving in World War II. And the doctor told her to take up smoking because it was 1943. You know what I'm saying? And so my grandmother would smoke. Anytime she felt nervous, she would get out a cigarette and she would smoke. But the thing that she discovered many years later is that smoking doesn't help you with anxiety. In fact, it has nicotine, which is going to cause more anxiety. So smoking as a means of dealing with anxiety, not at all. But eventually she got to the point where every time she was anxious, she had to have a cigarette. Now, if we're going to look at this purely from a behavior standpoint, is this good for her? Did it help? No, I think we'd want to work on this behavior and a give her a behavior that actually helps her with her anxiety and have her stop being addicted to something that both the, the nicotine in it and the behaviors in it that she thinks are helping to calm her down, but aren't actually okay. Which is actually a really good example because I think when there are some things that our kiddos do under stereotypical behaviors, which are to help them self-regulate. And we want them to self-regulate. And some of them may be functional. Some of them may be things that, you know, I know when I get nervous, sometimes my hands will do some things and I'm like, oh, you know, and then, you know, then it subsides. But if this is all I could ever do is do this movement when I'm feeling nervous, that my hands are like, oh, you know, I'm nervous you know, then I might not be able to catch the ball if I'm playing uh, baseball or I, you know, I may not be able to sign my name. Right. So sometimes something can be functional in some contexts and not in others. Um, and sometimes things just aren't functional for the thing that we're using them for. So if we can have a, a fearectomy and stop looking at these things as being odd and start looking at them are the things that your kiddo is doing, are they functional? What is the purpose of it? And is it a good, is it a good relationship to function or is it something that's causing them to not be able to do what they really ultimately wanted to do? What my grandmother really ultimately wanted to do was be calm. And the she was never going to get there smoking a cigarette. It was not going to happen. The nicotine wasn't going to allow her. And sometimes, you know, some of our kids will engage in a behavior to help soothe themselves, but it's, it actually causes them to go further into the melt. So we need to look at stereotypical behaviors. We need to look at them with a very scientific eye and say, is this functional? And when we're doing that, if we're doing it properly, that's an empathetic eye. Because if we say, is it functional? That's the same thing as saying, is it actually helping them? Because I don't like when people just go in and say, well, we want to get rid of all this behavior because it's odd. I just can't be a part of that. Do you know what I'm saying? I just can't sign up for that. What, who, who decided it was odd? It's odd to who? To you? Who, who left you boss? Right? You know what I'm saying? I think that some, the world needs to make room for more of the things that our kids need to do to be themselves. But if it is not 
functional, then yes, I think that we can help our kids uh, by helping them to find first a more functional way to get the thing that they need. We don't try to take away this behavior from them. We just try to find them a more functional way to get their needs met. It's a it's a different way of looking at it. It's one I feel very passionate about. Okay, so we were a little all over the map, but does everybody feel like they get this? What what stereotypical behaviors are and why we why and when we want to look at them. Um, because if it's not functional, we owe it to the people that we love to help them to find a functional way to do it. Vanessa, I was, you've been on my mind. I'm glad you're here. Hi, Michelle. Uh, okay. So, but don't get offended when somebody says stereotypical behaviors. Um, I know that word stereotypical. It just, it kind of drives me bonkers. Um, it's just a way of putting a group of, of behaviors into a classification. And it has to do with this repetition um, and sometimes rhythmic. All right, let's move on. I feel like that was like a rocky road to nowhere, but <laughs> let's move on. Uh, let's move on to our question of the day and see if we can uh, get somewhere here because we've got to get to our fabulous guests today. Uh, that maybe we can talk about these things with. So we have a question for you every day. Uh, and our, uh, oh, there was the other slide that I didn't see before. Uh, okay, so our, this is our topic. I, we're, all, we're all askew this morning. I don't know what the question is, but let's just go to the topic of the week. So our topic this week is that normal is a setting on the dryer. Now, I wish that, uh, I, I wish I could know who it was that said this first, but I, I love this and I kind of want to get t-shirts made or hats or something. I don't know. Um, but this whole idea of what normal is, uh, can we just shove it into the ocean? Can we just drop kick it someplace into a can? Because I don't know what normal is, but I suspect that I don't want it, whatever it is. I, you know, I don't, I honestly don't know what normal is anymore. Um, but when I think about people that come under the heading of normal, I, they're not my friends. They're not, you know, they're not people that I can relate to. I don't really even understand what that is. And I, I like to, things to be free and for people to be free. And the people that I love the most are free spirited and see the world in unique ways. And I love to hear how they see the world. So um, I love this. And I love that the autism community has adopted this, but it encompasses lots of communities, right? So what is normal is really an act of perspective taking, right? What is normal to you? Um, but I think that the world has sold us a bill of goods that often, you know, we're told that everything is normal except for us. And I, I've just rejected that. And, and I, I would like for us all to reject that. And it feels right to me that I have a kid that, um, you know, we also want to reject that. And, um, I, I just don't want to color in the lines anymore. Is everybody with me on this? Uh, <laughs> You know, are you guys, uh, listen, I spent years looking for normal. Uh, I, I, you know, kept saying, I just want something about our existence to feel normal. Like we fit in that we belong. And it took me a lot of years to realize we already did sort of like Dorothy and the Ruby slippers to figure out we, you know, we already knew where home was and it was us. And then we didn't have to try to be like other people and we didn't need for it to look like somebody else longingly at the parents who were taking their kids to Gymboree while we went, you know, had the therapist come and I was like, what must that feel like? And you know what? I'm not sure now with the perspective that I have now that that's really the thing that I ever wanted because I look at some of those kids now and they're in drug rehab. And, you know, so it, it really couldn't have been all the hearts and flowers and roses that I thought it was. And that our kids are amazing and we are given an amazing opportunity. Yes, it's hard sometimes and we have to work hard and, and we're working to help our kids to be able to do whatever they want to in this life. But man, it's valiant. And I'm not sure that normal is something ever to be strived for again. It's our thoughts. I, 
uh, I, I'm just putting that out there that this week, I think we should really be celebrating individuality and, and say that there, there is no normal. It's just a setting on the dryer. Anybody with me on this? You guys are kind of quiet this morning. Amanda's got some blue hearts for me. I appreciate it, Amanda. Okay, do we want to go back to the question, Traven? Because uh, there was a question in there somewhere, or should we just move on? Happy Valentine's Day, Amanda. Saying happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Uh, if you want to do the question, okay, we're not going to do the question today. We'll do two questions another day. Uh, Alicia is with me. Okay, I love I love hearing that because sometimes I'm just not sure if... Uh, <laughs> I'm taking a trip off into the ocean. In any case, we've got this amazing guest who's been waiting patiently. You know, Tom Island, Thomas Island, has been with us many times before on the show. He was diagnosed at the age of 13 years old. And after accepting his diagnosis, Thomas has gone on to be uh, recognized as an award-winning author and a thought leader. How amazing is that? He was working as a certified public accountant, respectably working as a uh, certified public accountant in 2015 when he made the decision that that was not what he wanted to do with his life. Uh, he has since become a keynote speaker, a certified human coach, and a diversity an inclusion consultant, which we, you know, we will always want to know more about that. He is now the owner of Come to Life Coaching, which is based on the title of his best-selling book, Come to Life, which we've featured before on the show. Uh, it's called Come to Life, Your Guide to Self-Discovery. And I want to tell you that right before it came out, my son and I got to do some of the exercises in the book. And if you have a teen, I really want to encourage you to give yourself the favor of getting this workbook and doing it with your teen. You will be closer as a result, I guarantee you. Uh, Thomas's mission is to empower individuals on and off the autism spectrum to live the life of their choice. Don't we all love that? He has spoken, get this, at the United Nations. He's given a TED Talk entitled How to Come to Life. And he is the only Toastmaster International accredited speaker with autism in the world. How's that for a credential? He currently lives in Santa Clarita, California with his dog, Bridget. Uh, and he recently received the Junior Chamber International's prestigious 10 Outstanding Young Americans Award. And he has finished his first Iron Ironman triathlon. So, oh, excuse me, Ironman triathlon. Uh, and so let's welcome Thomas Island back to the show. Good morning, Good morning, Shannon. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. You know, we, we engineered it so that you would be here today on Valentine's Day because we have much to talk about with love and, and love on the spectrum. Uh, not the TV show, but, uh, but, the, the, but the reality of it every day when it's not being recorded. So you've got a really interesting gig that is starting soon, like next week, I think, right? Uh, two weeks from now on the 28th. It's with okay. the Ed Asner Family Center. It's called Dating, or rather The Dating Spectrum. And this is designed to help people on the autism spectrum find uh, romance, relationships, and find love starting with themselves, loving themselves first. Yeah, and I love this. Uh, you know, uh, I think who better than you, Thomas, to be someone, it's not just you, There, there's a team of people, including uh, Krissa Sa Saad, right, mm -hmm. is gonna be joining That's you. Uh, she's an LMFT, we've had her on the show before. Um, and, but I love this because I think it's important that there are aspects of this that somebody really needs to learn from somebody who's been there and is doing that, right? Most definitely. I'm, I think we find that a lot of times people on the autism spectrum, when they hear it from one of their peers, namely a man on the autism spectrum and the struggles that he's been through and also the successes that he's had in the process, that that allows them to relate more and have more hope for their own lives that they too can have a, a meaningful and productive relationship. Yeah. And I also want to say, because in the past at the Ed Asner Center too, they've had a, a woman spectrum come in as well. I don't want people to be yes. like, well, why is it just a man? Um, but so let's, let's go back for just a second. And, and should I be only be calling you Thomas or Tom? Uh, you can call me Tom. Okay. 
I, I just have known you forever as Tom and I keep bobbling it. So no, it's quite all right. Uh, thank you. So when is this happening? Is it only in person? How can people find out more information about it? So it's for eight consecutive Mondays starting Monday, February 28th. And there is a little bit of an application process. So you email the Ed Asner Family Center. They'll do a Zoom interview with you to see why you want to be in this workshop. What do you want to get out of it? And then they'll vet uh, the best student or candidates to be there. And then it is set to be in person. And I don't know if there's a virtual option at the moment. You might have to contact Krista or the Adaz or Family Center to finalize logistics. But we're looking at about maybe 10 to 12 students in person to be in all eight Monday courses. Fantastic. And of course, you guys can always go to the Ed Asner Family Center. I think it's uh, Ed Asner Family Center.com. Uh, I think it's .org, actually, a nonprofit. .org. So .org. Excuse me. Okay. So you can go there and you can get more information about this to get signed up. And I want to be clear because I think everybody gets a little squishy when they're like, oh, there's an application process, da 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 da. But I, I, every single expert that we've had on this show, when we're talking about things of this nature, um, it's important to know that the individual wants it, that they are, that they have a vested interest because, you know, mom might be saying, well, I really want her to date, but if she doesn't want to date, it's not, that's not what these kinds of things are for. Same thing with anxiety. If there's not a vested interest in working on it. So I love that you guys are going through a process and talking about why do you want to do this before people are chosen to be in the class? Cause I do think some well-meaning, those of us who are parents, sometimes we're like, well, I really want this for my kid, but you know, these are the kinds of things that they've, they've got to want, but let's, let's, Talk for people, individuals on the spectrum who do want it. Let's talk a little bit about the why you need to work on it because this can be a little bit dicey and a little bit difficult for folks on the spectrum. That's why there's a whole season two of Love on the Spectrum on Netflix because it's sort of fascinating. So tell us a little bit about some of the successes and struggles you have found, Tom, um, with you know romantic relationships at, throughout the years. So shortly after I got diagnosed around 13 years old, I saw amongst my peers that there are like boyfriends and girlfriends, people dating on the campus. And I'm like, well, I want to have a girlfriend too. So if I saw a girl I liked, I would go to ask her out. And I was kind of the weird kid in the class. I was very, very strong academically, not so strong socially. Hmm. And because of that lack of experience, I was a target for a lot of bullies, namely football players. They would set me up for scenarios like, hey, that cheerleader over there likes you. Go ask her out. I'm thinking, mm. yeah, I want to be a cheerleader. So I'm going to ask her out, but I get rejected. And I have a little bit of a philosophy like persistence pays off. So I go to ask her again, and she rejects me again. I'm like, One more time. So I go to ask her and get rejected again. And I'm starting to cause a little bit of a scene people are gathering around kind of laughing at me like this oh, guy's been taking a hint so my sister saw what happened told my mother about it and basically we established okay maybe cheerleaders aren't the best dating material for me i, I probably could get one today but at least at the time <laughs> that yeah. was the best approach and my mother actually formed a little bit of a stereotype that stuck with me and the family for a bit she was under the impression because of situations like that that I could not succeed in a relationship unless the girl also had autism. Oh, so interesting. So about that, and there weren't too many women on the spectrum that I was going to school with and started to expand my horizons a little bit and had some good and not so good dating experiences with women both on and off the autism spectrum as well as older and younger women. So I've kind of been all over the place since that first instance of wanting to date cheerleaders. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I feel like my memory of when I first met you was that you were in a relationship that had been a pretty long-term relationship that you subsequently, you decided to end um, after that. I hope I'm not bringing up personal things because this was just when I met you that I was aware. Because as a parent, I think you meet people like you on the spectrum that are like having these successful careers and having a life. I think sometimes we ask things that are inappropriate because we just want to know how's it going for you. And as I, when I met you, you were a CPA 
with a girlfriend. And I was like, man, he's got it all figured out, you know? And then later when I heard that you were the one who broke it off, because I think that that's also a sign of, you know, being really healthy to understand that the relationship is not for you and decide that you're going to leave the relationship. I just was blown away by that, Tom. Mm -hmm. I, I always was like, oh man, Tom's, Tom's got it all together. Um, am I getting too personal? Uh, not at all. And I appreciate your words of encouragement and I'm an open book so I can talk about this particular topic. Okay. And uh, to give you some context, yes, there was a woman that uh, lived in another state who came to live with me. We've been pen pals for about 10 years before we decided to become a couple. And she took a big leap of faith going from a rural part of the country to suburban Los Angeles. And at the same time, being on the autism spectrum herself, she didn't have any services or supports her entire childhood, whereas mm -hmm. I did. So I had access to uh, therapies and classes and courses that helped me become my best self. So my mother and I are working to help her get like a job coach, someone to help her with college, someone to help with independent living. And she calls her parents back in where she was from. And her parents are also on the spectrum. The parents responded, they're looking to change you. Don't oh. let them. Oh. So my now ex-girlfriend was resisting all of the help. And, and I know what it's like to be like the kid that's left out. And it took me a long time to get to where I am today. So I wanted to be patient, let her kind of come into her own, grow at her own pace. Well, yeah. after about four years of it and I turned 30, I reevaluated where I was in life. I decided I don't want to repeat of the last four years and I'm shooting for the stars where she's having trouble leaving the launch pad. Yeah. So I had to yeah. say, it's time to end this. There you go. Well, very mature of you to recognize and say we're headed in different directions. And I think that that's very common in uh, relationships where, you know, the individuals are not on the spectrum where one is like, I want to progress. I want to, I want to, you know, have a bigger life. And the other one is like, I don't, I, I'm happy with the way I am. I don't want to do self-improvement. So um, all of that makes sense. And we talked already about the fact that sometimes there are challenges that, that individuals on the spectrum face, but we all, I think we should also take a second and acknowledge the other part of it too, that there are, there are some things that people on the spectrum bring to the dating process that we wish that other people had. What are some of the strengths that people on the spectrum bring to the dating process? I think people on the autism spectrum, when they're in a, a loving, committed relationship are wonderful listeners. Like they'll be there for you when you need them more than anything. And I think they, when they're in a relationship, when they're committed, they, they give everything that they've got. Mm -hmm. They're very loving and almost to a fault because something that I've noticed over the years is I'll be very loving, very giving, almost to the point of smothering and overwhelming. And I, I may have to scale things back a bit. And also I wasn't really picking up on the possibility of if I was being used. So mm. a relationship should be a two-way street, a little bit of give and take from both yes. parties. If I'm doing all the giving, 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 and she's doing all the taking, 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 then that's not good for me. Right. On so, both sides of that, that's not so it good. It works both ways. Yeah. I, uh, I often say uh, anymore, I, I would say that the, the number of people that, that I consider friends and people that I'm close to that are on the spectrum now is higher than 50% of the people that aren't. And, and one of the things I really notice is that there are sometimes when I just want someone to tell me the truth and I'll find myself in a room full of people who aren't telling me the truth. Uh -huh. And I find myself going, you know, if I were in a room full of people on the spectrum, I would not be feeling what I'm feeling right now because somebody would have already told me that I have a giant schmutz on my face and that, <laughs> and, and while everybody else is like, no, you look good. And I'm speaking mm -hmm. metaphorically, but you know, um, I, I do appreciate that folks on the spectrum almost, you know, I, I, I'm going to speak in generalities here, but they're going to tell you what's really happening so that you don't have to guess. And it's so much less work. I think that that's got to be a plus in relationships to just know where you are and that the person, what the person says, what they mean, they mean and mean what they say. And that there's, there isn't this whole other 
game that sometimes uh, people who are not on the spectrum insist on playing that isn't fun for anyone. Uh, Sarah saying, hi, Tom. Uh, wow, amazing story. Thanks for sharing. You are a great role model of persuasion and hope to parents like me. That's Absolutely. what I'm shooting for, Sarah. Thank you very there much. There we and, go. And, and you're right, Shannon, that the people on the autism spectrum tend to have a lot of candor and a lot of honesty, again, almost to a fault. So you ask yes. someone with autism, does this dress make me look fat? Right. You might get a yes, it does from That's them. That's right. You, you That's asked. Right. That's right. <laughs> That absolutely. Um, and sometimes you're in a place to take that and sometimes you're not, right? Um, but but we need to be cognizant of the fact that when we do ask them, we are going to get uh, an honest answer. So as and you're going to be teaching um, skills to, to folks on the spectrum at this dating on the spectrum at the Ed Asner Family Center. Tom, what would you say was the big turning point for you? And that how to get to the point where dating and relationships easier. Well, right around the time I ended high school and started college, reality TV was really starting to come about. And there was a little social experiment that Ashton Kutcher started called Beauty and the Geek. And I don't know if you've ever heard this show, but it, I takes, did. Yes. it takes eight very smart, but very geeky guys and pair them up with eight beautiful, but maybe not so intelligent women. And they learn from one another through a series of social experiments and situations. And they're learning from one another as to what kind of things are missing or why their past relationships weren't working. And about halfway through each season, the geeks would get makeovers, whole new wardrobe, haircut, eyebrows done, waxing if need be. And <laughs> It was because of that show that I get my eyebrows trimmed every six weeks to this day. Wow. I, I maintain my hair and my beard every so often yeah. and got new clothes and found newfound confidence by changing myself, my image up. And it wasn't a matter of conforming to society or what society wanted or expected of me. It's what I wanted for myself. Yeah. And as a result of seeing what women wanted, what kind of clothes they like, what they're attracted to. I got dates. There you go. There you go. It's so funny because when you put it that way, I mean, you know, we're, we've gone through two generations of um, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, which is just mm -hmm. makeovers, right? Um, but we've, we've discovered that a makeover is much more than the clothes you wear. It's how you feel and the confidence mm -hmm. with, with which you go out into the world. And when somebody goes to do a makeover on somebody on Queer Eye, we don't go, oh, what are you doing? You're not accepting them for who they are. You're changing them partially because the people are there and go, I want to be, I want to be a makeover. I want mm -hmm. to look more attractive. I think we all, you know, want to know what's hip or cool or whatever. So I, I love that that reality show made you realize, Oh, eyebrows are something that if you do a little, you know, time and care with them, um, I can feel better about myself. It didn't change who Tom was, <clears throat> excuse me, but it made you have a different level of confidence and people, yes, people did look at you in a different way, but, um, that's not, that's the only reason why you were dating. So I absolutely love that. I, I have said that I think that people watching those dating reality shows, there's a lot to be learned in those shows. So that's amazing mm -hmm. that you got that from that show. Sarah also wants to know, do you also coach kids like eight-year-olds with social skills, Tom? Uh, I haven't coached uh, an eight-year-old as of late, but yes, I can coach young people with social skills and introduce them to my book and help them prepare for the life that they want to live and get ready for transition to adulthood because we all want our young people to be successful and happy and live a life that's true to them. And this can help make that happen. So yes, I could you assist your young one. With and you do coach skills. and you're willing to coach over distance, right, Tom? You can I do. My, yeah. A lot of my clients are virtual and then they pay me electronically. So it works out and it's actually made a, a pretty good living for me during this pandemic. And uh, we love I also wanted to touch on uh, family because my sister and my mother also gave me some much needed perspective because I was improving my exterior, what's on the outside, but I also had to improve my skill sets. And my yeah. sister told me, Tom, girl's like a guy who knows how to cook. 
Girls like a guy who knows how to dance. Girls like a guy who knows how to keep himself clean. So I learned how to cook. I learned how to dance. And I learned good hygiene. And then I got more dates because I had the right skill set. So it's not just what's on the outside, but also what you know and what you can perform that matters in your relationship. I love that your sister was sort of taking you in hand. Can you hold your book back up, though? Because I want to finish answering. um, uh, So Come to Life. And you, you can order that on Amazon right now, right? Yes, you can find it on Amazon. You can also go to my website in my description here, cometolifecoaching.com and eliminate the middleman that is uh, Amazon. And you can even get yes. it uh, personalized, uh, signed by me. If you go through me, you can't get it signed if you go through Amazon. So go, go to my website if you'd like to order. So now the transition. Because Sarah was asking about an eight-year-old. I I was doing the, the exercises in that book when my son was like, I think, 14 or 15, if I'm remembering correctly, is eight a little too young for some of the exercises, Tom, or or are there things that she could start on with an eight-year-old in there? Well, even the first activity in the book, uh, Who's My Superhero, where the the child looks at what kind of a character or person in their life, living or dead, is meaningful to them, and why is that character or person meaningful to the child? And what that person or character has going for them and then eventually see that they too can be like that hero over the course of their life and or the activities in that book so there is a way to relate to young people come to life was originally designed for about maybe 10 to 12 and older but i could see it possibly working with an eight-year-old given the right circumstances and i want to say sarah that the thing that i particularly loved about uh when my son and i were doing it is that not, you know, I did it because I wanted to know for him what his thoughts were, because don't we all want that always? Don't we just want to like crawl inside our kids' heads and not disturb anything, but be able to look around and get to know them better um, and have those deep conversations that we always thought we were going to have with our kids? Well, I found that it was really helpful for that, but there was an unexpected plus that came from it because, you know, you both do the exercise and then you talk about it afterwards. And obviously, There's different levels depending on the functionality of your kiddos of how deep you're going to get with this and depending upon their age and what's appropriate, right? But um, what also happened was that, that I didn't expect was that my son learned about me. So that I did the exercise and and we said, okay, so which superhero would you like to be like and why? And he was telling me, which helped me to learn about him, also helped him to learn about himself, by the way. Um, But then there was also the thing where he learned about me, uh, which I didn't expect to be this unexpected bonus, but it was really thrilling. Um, We had a good time with it. So I highly, highly, highly recommend the book. Um, Get it you know, and, and if you don't do the whole book with your kiddos, you know, it's not like it's, it's not like it's an Ironman triathlon, Tom, (laughs) Uh, like you have to finish, but you know, let's just say that spring break, if you did an exercise a day, I think you'd find that you both would, would find it really exciting. So, and you don't have to put your pressure, self pressure to do the whole thing. But anyway, that's Tom's book. Let's get back to the dating thing because um, this is really exciting. So you're going to be doing the dating spectrum and you think you're going to have about 12 um, people who are going to be participating and tell me what their ages are going to be again. What's the youngest you can be in the dating spectrum? It's my understanding, and I'm actually meeting with Chris Salaire this afternoon to finalize the curriculum and what Mm -hmm. we're doing, but it's my understanding this is for adults, so you have to be at least 18. 18 Yeah, that makes sense to me. And and so so you guys are still firming everything up, but what kinds of things are you going to be working on? Like, what can we expect as either individuals who are on the spectrum or parents of those individuals? What kinds of things will you guys be working on? So some examples of some of the things we'll be teaching are like what a relationship is, uh, signs that a relationship is working or maybe not working. And then we get into a little bit more uh, complex items, like we'll, we'll do some dating role-playing or uh, like improvisational scenarios, or like we'll pretend to be at a coffee shop making small talk or chit-chat. And then even more abstract or complex situations like uh, boundaries or what is safe sex and uh how to look out for uh, cyber predators and not go to bad site websites and what kind of dangerous behaviors our young people might be doing that if they 
continue could land them on the wrong side of the law. So yeah. this is some some stuff that's going to be pretty hardcore and really deep into the the trenches. But really, our young people and even people not on the autism spectrum could use some more information uh, about. Look, we could all use this help, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and are you going to do some of the things like your sister said to you that, you know, you need to know, you need to keep your hygiene and you need to, you know, know how to have the conversation and you need to have like, you know, cook and be able to dance. Are you going to work on any of that stuff as well? Uh, depending on uh, the candidates or the, the students that are there and what kind of needs they have and where the information gaps might be and, Okay. As, as to where they are in their life or their relationship. So we're, we're kind of playing it by ear in a little bit and I'm, I can roll okay. with the punches as needed, but I've got a couple of. Uh, yeah. You're going to see, you're going to get it to their individual needs. I get it. Yes. That, that makes, that's a good answer. Um, and again, that starts in two weeks and mm-hmm. it's at the Ed Asner center. And the plan is for this to be in person. So that means that it would be people in the Los Angeles area. If you have a, a, a child who is no longer a child, who is now adult, they're still your child. You know what I mean? Um, that it, w- one of your children, I don't even know what the proper, if you have adult children, <laughs> That doesn't right. even sound right, right? Um, but what is what, what do we say? I don't know. I'll find that word. Um, <laughs> but they're still your children um, that you would like to participate or if you yourself are an adult on the spectrum and you would like to participate, you want to go to edasnercenter.org, um, find the information, fill out the application so that you can have the conversation about that. Um, I, I, I think that that is really amazing. I got to ask you about the the triathlon uh what what you're doing with that Tom like what cuz that was a whole thing how long did you have to prepare to do that and are you still working on that or are you going to do another one So right around uh, the time the pandemic started I had put on the covid-19 pounds and decided I need to work some of this weight off so around last uh, April right after I got vaccinated I started training and looking at what courses there are locally. And I went up to Salem, Oregon and completed a half Ironman. I did it uh, with about seven and a half minutes to spare in 90 degree heat. And that is really something because the too much sun is like kryptonite to me. So I'm like walking, trudging along, but I finally got it done. But a half Ironman wasn't enough for me. I wanted to go for the full. So I've been training Ever since I did attempt a full in Texas in October, but there was too much humidity and some unexpected hills and headwinds, I did not finish the race in Texas. So I'm, I've been training since October some more and doing a little bit more hills because those hills can also kind of take away my energy. And I am now signed up for a full in Des Moines, Iowa on June 12th. Okay. Now, June 12th. Okay. So I didn't know what, is there a time limit that you have to do it with? I thought you could take as long as you wanted. I wish you have to complete a half within eight and a half hours and you have to do a full within 17. And tell us, so what do you have to do to do the whole thing? Okay. So for the full Ironman, you get into the water. It it starts with a 2.4 mile swim. It could be a one way river. It could be around a lake. And you have to complete that swim within two hours and 20 minutes. Okay. So then you get out of the water, you get your bike gear on and start off on your bike. You have to go 112 miles and be at 10 hours, 20 minutes by the time you finish that. Oh my God. And then you transition into your running clothes and then you have six and a half hours to run a full marathon, 26.2 miles. So 140.6 miles in 17 hours or less. Okay. So that's what you're going for on June 12th, but the half is just half of all of that. So it's half marathon, half the, and you were able to finish that in less than eight and a half hours. That's right. And I can't even imagine like how tired you must have been when that happened. Did you take oh, a team you, of people You should have seen you? me after I crossed the finish line. I found a, a, a grassy spot in the shade and I just kind of laid down there for about oh. three minutes. Medical staff came over and said, are you okay? I thought, I'm fine. I, can I have some water, please? Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine. After being in motion that long, I, I'm mm-hmm. sure that it must feel like your body almost can't stop. Because uh, that's mm-hmm. just 
that is just crazy. Well, that's quite an accomplishment, Tom. We, we're going to be cheering you on in Des Moines. That is crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, I can't, I can't even get my head wrapped around that. And why, why did you want to do that, Tom? Why do you, why was that the thing you felt you wanted to push yourself towards? Well, about five years ago, I went to uh, a workshop called One Day to Greatness. It's through uh, Jack Canfield. He wrote the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. Yeah. And he told some stories about people running and finishing Ironman competitions. So I'm like, well, I want to do that. So I recently finished the half. And I also saw a story uh, back in November of 2020, a, a man uh, about 20 something years old, but Down syndrome finished a full Ironman in about 16 hours, 46 minutes wow. and set a Guinness world record in wow. November, 2020. And I looked up the Guinness world records. Nobody on the autism spectrum has ever finished a full Ironman. Wow. So if I finished Des Moines in time, I could set a Guinness world record. You're going to be the first Tom. It's so inspirational. Well, you're an amazing guy, Tom Island, and uh, what a gift to our community and what a gift to our kids. If you just loved uh, this time that we spent with Tom, um, you know, first of all, if you're in the LA area and you or someone you love is an adult on the spectrum and you'd like to uh, be able to take the dating spectrum class, then please reach out to the Ed Asner Family Center. But if you are interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching with Tom, you can do uh, cometolifecoaching.com. Mm -hmm. So again, that's cometolifecoaching.com. Here's my email address if anybody wants to shoot me an email. There we go. And I think Trayvon will probably put that up on the screen in a second. It's tom at thomasisland.com. Now, here's the thing about when you say island, because it's pronounced just like the piece of land out in the ocean, island, mm -hmm. but it does not have the S. There is no right. S in island. So it's Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, island, I-L-A-N-D. So island without the S. Um and of course, uh, we hope that you will go there to purchase his book and reach out to him to ask him a question or talk to him about coaching for yourself or a loved one, because um, that's a fun thing to do. Uh, we also have to give a shout out to your mother. Please make sure that you give her, her our love uh, because your mother is an amazing human being and uh, we're sending her all the love in the world. Okay. On Valentine's Thank you so Day. Much. And Tom, just keep in touch with us. We want to know how the dating spectrum goes and we want to know how your Ironman triathlon mm -hmm. goes. Craziness, full one. <laughs> we'll be thinking of you on June 12th. So thank you for being with us, Tom. Thank you, Shannon. Really nice to be here today. You take care. You too. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Uh, we're here at the end of the show and I've only got a second here. So I want to remind everybody that tomorrow, Dr. Grant Pichet is here live and she's going to be taking your questions. So if you want your question asked, then please send us that to us as soon as possible. You know, the first few questions are questions that you can either email them, we get them ahead of time. And then we start taking as many live questions as we can. So if you have a burning desire, something that you want Dr. Grampuche to answer, send it to me now, Shannon at autism-live.com. That's probably the best way. You don't you're not limited to number of characters. You can send me as much or as little information as you want. I hope that all of you take a moment on Valentine's Day, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances are, and first do something for yourself. Do something that is self-love for yourself. Because what is it that RuPaul says about, you know, ain't nobody going to love you unless you love yourself, something like that. Um, I love RuPaul. Um, cause it has to start with self-love. So do, if you can't love yourself, what is it Trayvon that he says? If you can't love yourself, ain't nobody going to love you. Uh, oh, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anybody else? Love it. Love it. Love it. There's Tom's got it too. If you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anyone else? Uh, can I get an amen? Yes. So love. Thank you, Tom, who's still with us. Thank you, Trayvon also. Um, so it starts with yourself. 
and remind yourself if you are the parent of someone who's on the spectrum, the best thing in the world that you can do is model the behavior for them. If you show how self-love to yourself, you are teaching your child how for them to love themselves, right? So start with the self-love and then spread the love on the people that you care. Uh, I, I'm now going to quote James Taylor, shower the people you love, uh, show them the way that you feel. I found out over the weekend that a dear friend, uh, that I went to graduate school with passed away. And it was just a reminder to me, tell people you love them, tell them how much they mean to you. You know, none of us are, uh, are going anywhere right now, but eventually we are, and you don't know when. So today's a great day. Tell people you love them. Tell them what they mean to you. Don't save it for a rainy day. Uh, do it today. All right. We're going to be back tomorrow with Dr. Grant Boucher. Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you as well, because you mean the world to me. All right. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>